Welcome to the Did You Know Crypto Podcast. I'm very excited for this episode. I think it's an extremely important topic. It doesn't matter what side of scaling debate, whether or not you're into Ethereum or proof of stake coins or anything. This is a topic I think that affects us all in the crypto community, and you may need to listen to it a couple times. If you have any questions, feel free to contact myself or Vin via Twitter or wherever else that we're found. You can find all that information in the show notes. I also want to mention in the spirit of transparency that while I do consider Vin a friend, we also have a business relationship. His company, Cointext, is a client of mine. Uh, Morgan Marketing is a company that I have that does graphic design and some of the marketing and social media management for Cointext and a couple of the platforms. Does not bring any conflict of interest, especially for this topic, but I just want to throw that out there in case anybody was ever wondering. So thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Very pleased to welcome Ben Armani, CTO of Cointext, Bitcoin evangelist, author of Self Ownership, and serial entrepreneur. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dustin. It's uh, it's a real pleasure. I've been wanting to do this, uh, you know, do something with you on your podcast for a while. I've been listening to it and loving it. So, uh, so thanks for having me on. Well, I really appreciate that. Uh, me as well. And and uh, you know, we were planning on actually talking about Cointext, but then this. This topic came up, and and the reason that you know that we're that we're um, talking right now specifically is because of the that 15 minute video uh, on Twitter that you released, giving kind of the overview not only of the you know basically this this coming hash war on the 15th between uh, Bitcoin Cash SV and ABC, and but as well as that kind of a near apocalyptic warning um, to the whole proof of work world as mm-hmm. a whole, and. Before we delve kind of into that specific warning, can you explain? Yeah, we start kind of at the beginning, the genesis block, uh, so to speak, of the SVABC split. Yeah, that's see, that still is a mystery. That piece of the history is still yet to be written. Um, it's a bit shrouded in uh, there's 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 a bit of mist around that one. It's hard to know when this started because the start, I guess, would have to be whenever Calvin Air, head of CoinGeek, and Craig Wright, the head of Enchain, made the decision that they were going to pursue this path toward, I mean, I guess this is a, a path toward conquest and control of Bitcoin, or at least that's the idea. And it's it's pretty hard to know when that started. What's interesting is that, I mean, so my uh, my professional background. Some people know this is it's it's kind of interesting that I spent almost a decade as an escort, uh, straight male escort. But then before that, yeah, I know, very risque for the people who did not know that. Uh, and actually, ended up being probably the most famous that there has ever been in that profession. Um, including spending time six seasons on a, a TV show on Showtime as a star that that was about that. But even before that, and the reason why I sort of ended up in that profession was because I had been very involved in the pickup artist scene in LA. And it had really uh, been something that I was good at because I've always been pretty good at reading people. And I've I, I have this weird intuition about what's going to happen when I meet somebody and what somebody is going to do. And it's just kind of a natural 
I don't know whether it's a gift or a curse, but it's it's worked out for me well so far. But in uh, in May, after the last planned hard fork, um, or or kind of during the hard fork, there was this Coin Geek conference in Hong Kong, and many of the sort of I guess leading people who were doing things and had projects in the space were invited out as uh, guests to speak, and I was one of them. So I was flown out there. Also, my my business partner in Cointext uh, went out there as well. And on the last day, it was really interesting because it was kind of a very unified event. But on the last day, I remember sitting there with him uh, and and one other individual as well and saying, you know, I think there's going to be another split. Like, I'm just feeling I'm, I could. And I told them who it was going to be and who it was going to be between and who the factions would be. And this is exactly who it is. And I didn't necessarily know know why I felt that way, but there was there was something about the way things were being presented. There was something about almost a level of over the top um, hospitality that was being thrown that really felt to me like someone trying to sort of buy the allegiance of certain individuals. Uh, and clearly with certain individuals, it worked. And it wasn't until, you know, it, it, it was, wasn't was more than a few weeks later that um, the initiatives started, these strange sort of initiatives that had come out of nowhere from CoinGeek. And it was me raising questions about those and seeing that they would create a split in the chain that sort of, well, first it got me blocked by Craig Wright. He began really maligning my character almost on a daily basis. He would be, even though I was blocked, he would be quoting my tweets and, and throwing insults at me. Um, and then I, and, and I really became persona non grata on the coin geek side. And I, it was just after that, I noticed that everything that ABC would do in terms of uh, the things that they were introducing would would elicit the resp- just this over-the-top response from Craig Wright. And it, I was just sure from that point that like, wow, these guys are really trying to have there be another implementation, split the chain. Why are they doing this? Like, what is this? This is so hard. For- like, I don't understand why would they want to do that? And I started playing out the scenarios in my head of like, okay, well, what would that mean? Okay, well... There would be another chain, okay, but why would they want that? They wouldn't want that. And then I was listening to the rhetoric that was coming from Craig, and they started, they actually started talking about these hash wars months ago. But I didn't understand. And I think I was at a place that even most of the people that I see in the ABC camp right now, I didn't really understand what a hash war was. And once I understood it, and I really have to thank Daniel Krawitz for that, he came out and we did um I guess that was last month. We did this event here with myself and him and Krista Rose here in New Hampshire. And he he actually stayed at my house. He flew out and he stayed at my house. And it's an hour each way to the Boston airport. And it was an hour each way to Portsmouth. And so we had three days together and time together and in the car. And we talked a lot about this. And we talked a lot about Craig Wright and his and Daniel's thoughts. And I've been a, a, a huge fan of his since I really discovered and understood how prophetic his his work was. And it was through that that I 
in talking with him that I really started to think and understand what it was that Craig and Calvin were doing. And I understood that they had, they had sort of unlocked another piece of Bitcoin. They had unlocked some things that Satoshi could not have thought of and are not in the white paper, but I think will be forever a part of Bitcoin now after this hash war. And clearly people don't see it yet. So maybe we can, there, there's so much to it. I have so much to say about this, but I mean, you know, maybe we can start to unlock some of those things in this episode. Cause that would be great. No, no, definitely. And, and, um, I, I remember just reading on Twitter, kind of the, the, the genesis of that, you know, post coin geek. And, and, um, I mean, Craig has seemed to have this, uh, as you pointed out before, where he kind of will, um, uh, deal with you for a period, but once he kind of figures out that you're not going to be an acolyte, it's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, all done and then, and then blocking. And I, I did, I find that kind of very interesting, you know, their approach not, that you're laying it out that way of going over the top, trying to, you know, wow. Uh, you know, cause most people in this community, except for very early adopters that, that held on for years are still, you know, they, they may be doing, you know, well, but they're not, you know, extremely rich. Right. So it is quite easy for someone like, you know, myself or whatever to be wowed by, you know, a, you know, kind of a display of opulence and kind of, I don't know, bring people into the fold that way. You know, if, if you can bribe, I guess, if you want to call it that way. And then if not, then, then you go to more drastic tactics. And then I guess that kind of where, you know, rolls into what we were uh, alluding to a little bit uh, ago of the dire predictions and I'm kind of paraphrasing the, the video, uh, but you basically said that in, in the event of a, uh, Satoshi vision win and on the Bitcoin, uh, cash blockchain that the smaller proof of work blockchains like dash Namecoin, uh, I I'm, I'm guessing Monero as well would be, uh, vulnerable and possibly, you know, Bitcoin BTC, uh, itself. And, I kind of I, I do really want to get really detailed here, and I am not a developer. I don't know coding. I've probably spent uh, probably about twenty hours doing some very basic Python type stuff through YouTube videos. So I guess you could say I'm a I'm a I'm a, a preschool coder, and um, it, you know just to, I would like to venture into these technical aspects as well, and and just so that we could really kind of flesh it out. Because there's a lot of, I would guess, a mixture of like just disdain and or kind of flippant, like whatever. I don't, you know, this is not really our problem coming from the BTC community. So I think it'd be really important to kind of really get down to the nuts and bolts. Okay, so the good the good part about it is that basically a hash war is not primarily a technical battle. Uh, There are. Yeah. So you don't need to be a coder at all to understand this. This is really more game theory. And that's one of the important things that has been that my eyes have been opened. And again, I really have to thank Daniel Krawitz uh, for that. His stuff is if you can if you may have to watch his videos, some of them I've watched dozens of times and you may have to read his articles dozens of times because he's just so far out ahead. Um, But when you get it, when you see it, you can't unsee it. So the first thing to remember about Bitcoin is that 
and and this is something that Craig says often, and this is really what he's talking about. He's not awesome at articulating himself, and I think he gets frustrated by that. Um, but he definitely does. I can tell that he understands. He's just not really all that great at articulating all the time. Um, you know, when he says Bitcoin is not about cryptography and it's not about the technical, it's a, it's a it's about the economics, and really, it's what he means is it's the game theory, and so you know the problem that Satoshi Nakamoto is solving with Bitcoin, the the game theory problem is the Byzantine generals problem. And I won't go deeply into the Byzantine generals problem. You can go and look it up. I've talked about it on my show. It's been talked about by by Bitcoiners for years. Um, but you, you can just go and, and check it out. It's a very well-known game theory problem. Um, the The essential sort of axiom within it is it's you know it's a group of generals that are besieging a city and they're trying to communicate a plan to one another but what they know is that they know that there are traitors in their midst they know that there are some of the lieutenants some of the soldiers some of the messengers and even some of the generals are traitors who will try to uh change their message that they're sending to the other generals about what they're going to do it's basically they're taking a vote if they, uh, if more than 50% of them vote to attack, they will all attack. And if they all attack, they'll win. Same goes for retreat. So it's fundamentally not a computer science problem per se, even though it was first sort of laid out in a computer science paper. Uh, what it really is, is it's a, it's a problem of communi- human communication and also uh, deception. I mean, these are all human problems. Uh, but it is interesting that it is a war scenario that it that the Bitcoin white paper and the Bitcoin software is, is fundamentally solving. And so really what Craig figured out is something that I don't think Satoshi could have seen. So this and this is what is clearly not being understood by particularly by a lot of the people on the ABC side who seem to believe that at the end of this, there will be two chains standing, uh, as it was with Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, as it was with BTC and BCH. That's not what is happening. So uh, instead of saying what a hash war is, maybe to start with like what a hash war is not. So what a hash war is not, first and foremost, is a hash war is not... um, two chains go up and there's going to be two separate chains like we had with BTC and BCH. It's not two groups mining relatively peacefully on their own preferred chain. uh, And it just goes on that way. And the exchanges say, Oh, here's one uh, SV coin and here's one BCH. And the idea of this, and this was one thing that got me too early on there. There are some developers that still don't get this. You know, Craig's been saying, no, there's only going to be one ticker. There's not going to be a split in the ticker. This is not a split. This is a hash war. And so that's the first thing is that it is not that. Um, the second thing that it is not, and this is yet another, I, I see this meme going around. It is not, we're both going to mine and then whichever chain is the longest and has the most proof of work because the most miners are mining on it, that's going to be the chain that uh, that the exchanges will choose and that they will give the ticker to. No, 
that's not it either. That's that's not what a hash war is. What the idea of a hash war is, the best way to think about it is it's basically it's a game of chicken. So what you are doing is you are not playing the chain. You are playing your opponent. And this is what Craig and Calvin have figured out. And it's probably um, in no small part due to the fact that Calvin Ayer, who is a self-made billionaire, he founded Bodog, the online gaming company, which uh, is primarily uh, centered around poker. And the little bit of time that I've spent with him, I have to tell you, most of the conversation during that time was about poker. Um, so he loves poker. He's a poker player. And what they're doing is they're playing not the cards, not the hand. They're playing the man. And the idea in a hash war is, and Calvin has said this, there's a uh, a tweet of his where he's doing some yoga in Thailand. And uh, Amari Sachet made fun of it in a recent interview where he said, oh, yeah, I've been practicing doing yoga in Thailand. And it's like, okay, dude, but did you read the tweet? Because in the tweet, he says, I'm preparing mind and body for the for the coming hash war. I believe that these will become a regular fixture of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. And he said, winning will be defined as who is able to endure the most long-term pain in pursuit of their principles. And so what does that mean? What he's saying is he's saying he's telling you what a hash war is right there. So what a hash war is, is you are, it's basically a siege. You split the chain. First, you have to split the chain and you have to split it in such a way that there is not replay protection. So that means all of the transactions that come onto the network go onto your chain and onto your opponent's chain. That's very important because at the end of this, there's only going to be one chain standing. So you really don't want to lose valid transactions from people who have not taken a side. This is, this is a super important. People who have consciously made the decision to not take a side, you want to take their transactions. Or people who have chosen your side. What you don't want is people who have chosen the other side. Then what you do from there is you're going to do 51% attacks. So Satoshi Nakamoto in the white paper wrote, that the system is secure so long as a majority of CPU power is controlled by honest nodes and not attacker nodes. So the attack against a Bitcoin network is to have 51% of the mining hash power. At that point, what you can do since you have a, a majority and you'll be getting the majority of uh, Bitcoins mined, you'll be mining the majority of blocks. You can do there are two main things that you can do to disrupt the chain. One is you can mine empty blocks. So that means you can just not put people's transactions in, which makes the mempool fill up. You still get your uh, coins coming to you. You still build a chain, but until somebody else gets a block, they can't. there are no transactions that go in. So you basically screw it up in that way. So you imagine exchanges take what? six or seven usually confirmations before they will credit to you on your account. So you imagine that there's a miner mining empty blocks and they just mine it for days. So for days, you've got unconfirmed transactions sitting in a mempool. That's the first thing that you could do. Even more dangerous, you could do blockchain reorganization. 
which means that you can actually rewrite the entire blockchain and like knock it down. You can take blocks out. You can rewrite it back. You can basically keep rewinding the blockchain back and back and back so that no transactions go through. And this is the game that Craig Wright and Calvin Ayer are going to play. What a hash war is, is a hash war is about, as we see, the first starting thing, and you'll see this, more exchanges will announce, but already Coinbase has announced a number of others. Many services such as Ledger, Trezor, Shapeshift has also announced that they will be shutting down withdrawals and deposits. So basically shutting down their Bitcoin cash trading windows completely. And they said, we're shutting them down and we will reopen the trading windows when the network is stable, when we assess that the network is stable. So what is Craig doing? He's saying, I want you to mine and to go along with my software, my vision, the Satoshi vision, to go along and give and hand over the direction development of this chain to me. And if you don't, and this is what, if, if you go back to Roger Veer's, um, the email that he read today from Craig Wright, and it, it appeared that he did not understand the email. Because what Craig said in the email is, I will stop, if you want a war, I will stop all trading. No one trades the coin for two years. That's what a hash war is. The idea of a hash war is miners are the biggest holders of any of these coins. Miners receive their revenue in that particular coin. If they can't offload that coin for fiat, they can't pay their employees in many cases. They certainly can't pay their electrical bills. They... They're relying at this point on being able to move that at exchange. Furthermore, a miner, a big miner like Bitmain, Bitmain's got one over 1 million BCH, which are right now somewhere around $600. So they've got $600 million in holdings of BCH. But if, they, if it can't be traded, if the network is in such a state, such a state of disarray, that none of the exchanges feel comfortable to reopen and the price starts dropping. You could imagine what that does to the price. And so this is when Calvin was saying, who can take long-term pain in pursuit of their goals, pursuit of their principles? And Craig and Calvin have both said they're willing to expend the money. Remember, Calvin's got fiat money. Calvin's a fiat billionaire. He's not a Bitcoin billionaire. He's a fiat billionaire. So he can spend that money on the electricity. They're saying it might, at the current hash rate, it'll be about a million dollars a day. But the devs and their, there's private channels of app and exchange devs. We're all trying to figure out how we're going to deal with this. Um, the devs that I have talked to from the major exchanges, very, very high up at the biggest exchanges have said, if this goes on for more than three weeks, we'll just delist. That's the talk around here. They'll just delist the coin. What would that mean for Jihan Wu? at a million BCH, a million BCH that now literally trade at zero because all the exchanges have delisted it except for a few minor ones and it becomes a penny stock, especially in the middle of an IPO. So you see that what's happening here is it's more of a, it's more 
of a, a human game and a lot less of a technical game. The technical side is just causing havoc within a network. But that's relatively easy to do if you've got 51% of the hash power. The human side is who will blink first. Because your choices are either mine and mine on SV and give over uh, control of the development direction of BCH to Craig Wright, or go off and go on to another chain. And so you can see what the logical progression is if you win a battle on BCH, which is the fourth largest coin. Now you just go and you just destroy the other coins because you're going to suck up all the market share. And you could basically destroy them at will. I mean, the, the hash power on a dash or a Litecoin is nothing compared to BCH. So, so that's basically what, that's the layout. That's the lay of the land of what is about to happen. And it's really, unf I think Jihan Wu may know what, what is going on, but it's really unfortunate that it appears that many on the ABC side, uh, and particularly Roger Veer, are not fully aware of, uh, of what's in store for them. So who's who's actually aligned now? I mean, the, the battle lines obviously it's SV and and ABC uh, within this internal debate before it goes goes larger. But who's actually like on you know with Craig and and Coin Geek, and then who's on the other side? I mean, and as far as like because it's Roger Jihan, and it seems like ABC on one side and Craig um, and Chain and Coin Geek on the other. What's needed? to happen really um what, what's the first domino that needs to fall if if craig's going to win this internal okay so the, it's it's really there's really basically only only two ways that this shakes out um the first and, and it all depends on jihan Wu basically um via btc they may be able to bring some some of their hash if they really care to do it they may be able to bring some of their hash off of uh, BTC, but really it's about how much hash comes off BTC to challenge um, Craig and Calvin. So right now they've got active. I think they have pretty close to 50% of the network uh, at the moment. The, the last time that I checked and really sort of added it up between CoinGeek, BMG pool and SV pool, uh, BMG and SV pool, which are all of theirs, uh, the last time I checked, it was like right around like 47%, something like that. So I know for sure that they've got uh, hash still to bring to bear, obviously. Um, so really what it depends upon is it depends upon, will we see uh, particularly the Chinese miners from BTC come down? Now, BTC has uh, 10 times the total hash power as what's on BCH. If they decide to come in, um, then they could hold the ABC chain, but just holding the ABC chain is probably not going to be enough. Um, Craig and Calvin will wait them out on the other chain and they will attack as soon as any of that hash leaves. Because one of the things that you have to, to remember is that BCH right now, everybody mining BCH is mining at a loss. Um, for the most part, there's almost nowhere in the world where you uh, can get electricity cheap enough to mine Bitcoin cash at a profit at the current price. So this will be Jihan Wu moving off hash that he otherwise could be using to make money on BTC. Now he'd be doing it to defend ABC, which um, 
it's really more of an ideological point. It's really more because he, he hates Craig. Um, it's not for the benefit of his holdings because we're ABC, the ABC side, which is basically, I mean, for the most part, it's uh, Bitcoin.com, uh, BTC.com and via BTC. Were they to just capitulate and run SV or even run Bitcoin Unlimited, which I know that uh, Bitcoin.com has been running Bitcoin Unlimited for years, and they do have Bitcoin Unlimited nodes that are going to be even running during this hash battle. Bitcoin Unlimited has a setting where it can flip over to SV. So you can, it, it runs ABC by default, but you can very quickly, uh, with a single con- configuration, single line of code just flip your uh, flip your miner over to mining the sv rule set i think you're going to see a lot of that if we see early capitulation from big miners so even if you see via btc capitulate um if you see bitcoin.com capitulate if you don't see jihan woo woo come in then uh it's over like this could be over in a day or two if you do see Jihan Wu come down and you see the others hold strong, then it's really going to be a matter of whether they're willing to attack or not. So SV is going to be on the attack. And on the 17th, they've got this. It's a weapon. I mean, it was being called a stress test, but I had raised issues with it from the very beginning because it just, again, seemed like one of those things where I was like, this seems wrong to me. Um, but CoinGeek has damn near gave a, a Medal of Honor yesterday in a uh, release on on their site to you know naming the creators by name and saying how wonderful they they were and uh for creating this thing this weapon that they call satoshi shotgun which is basically fires all of these little transactions millions of little transactions to fill up a mempool and they made it pretty clear in that release if you if you read through and decipher that they're going to be firing that at the abc chain so there's going to be all kinds of attacks coming at abc um, it really all depends on if uh, if the ABC side is willing to go out and attack SV. They certainly have the developer talent to build uh, attacker nodes. I've asked uh, several of the ABC devs, and they seem pretty secure that if anybody was willing to throw hash to uh, to run those that software, that attacker node software, that they've got it too. Um, and they, they're much better devs than the devs on the SV side, to be honest. So, so yeah, I mean, really, that's what to look out for. It's to, to see, does the hash rate grow significantly? Uh, if it does, are we seeing blocks mined by uh, either Antpool or some other Bitmain-related enterprise? Um, and are we seeing any sort of capitulation uh, early on from any of the 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 abc side i think particularly to look and see how quickly if at all uh, bitcoin.com capitulates i think that would be a key one if roger just uh, gave up the ghost on it then which would be in some ways understandable considering that he has large holdings and he pays his whole company in in bch that um if you saw that happen then that would pretty much be the the death knell for uh for abc at least on the the bch chain i would say i, I don't know i'm, I'm very skeptical uh, on on jihan's um i i understand his personal animosity towards them but also trying to run an ipo um 
and and get that actually to go live at the same time that you're going to engage in a very it seems it, it seems very sketchy if you're actually serious about running an IPO that you'd engage in a very kind of a personal what outside people and investors would look like is a very petty battle to waste mm -hmm. massive amounts of money on that. I, I think that he would either have to choose one or the other. And it's, it, 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 you know, as you've alluded to in the video and, and in this interview as well, that uh, there seemed to be some underestimation of Craig's ability to game theory some of this stuff out. Because right now is a much better time than, say, six months ago or eight months ago to have, to, to have mm -hmm. picked a fight with Jihan. Yeah, I mean, I th I think that the IPO is a key part of why they chose to do it now. I mean, in war, timing is everything. And I have, I mean, th th this IPO is a huge part of why they would fight this battle now, because I think anybody looking at it would say that, well, this is set to be the largest IPO in history of any company to to do an initial public offering this is set to be the largest bigger than facebook the the absolute largest and for you know a ceo of a company in the middle of the largest ipo ever that's what you're going to show to shareholders now here's what's the most interesting part about that though to me as i've thought about it more it's really going to turn out that that's exactly what he should be showing shareholders because the landscape of Bitcoin has changed. This is just the first of what will be many hash wars. The hash war is now, it's out there. The meme is out there in the wild. And so really, it, it seems counterintuitive. And it he probably won't do it because investors won't understand it. But really, he needs to be showing that he is willing to defend the chains that he's going to mine and that he's going to hold. That's a very important long-term strategy. We need to start looking at this. Chris DeRose said something at our uh, our Bitcoin Heretics event that we had here. We were talking about the ideal Bitcoiner. And somebody in the audience brought up the, the notion that Bitcoin is a religion. And uh, I think I've said that many times and, and I agreed and Daniel Krawitz agreed as well. And and Chris said something interesting. He said, you know, he said he's very sympathetic to the idea of a civic religion where the state is actually kind of the religion. And so he was saying, look, like in America, we have these holidays and those are holiday literally means it comes from holy day. And those holidays, 4th of July is our day of the dead is Memorial Day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, our May Day is Labor Day. And so he said, you know, I think what we're seeing more is that we're seeing that Bitcoin is not a religion, but that Bitcoin is a nation. And I think that's a, a better, that's a much, it's a virtual nation. It's a much better analogy, a much better metaphor. And Jihan has invested in the nation of BCH. And the nation of BCH is about to undergo a civil war. And for him to not take a side in that civil war, especially when what stands to happen if he doesn't take a stand in that civil war is that his really his a number one enemy is going to gain control of the development direction. That's not a smart move either. So he's really stuck between a rock and a hard place. And that's why, again, 
I think people have very much underestimated both Craig Wright and Calvin Air in this. And it's it's interesting. A, a mutual friend of ours, Jack Spearco, had been. I remember listening to his podcast back in. Gosh, I was probably 2012, 2013, and it was already starting to talk about the ideas of of virtual nations and and the concepts of 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 nations kind of changing uh, from the kind of geographic nation state to uh, the virtual one, one where you know there's well, hopefully uh, voluntary cooperation and coming together. Um, based on mutual interest, um, although that could go other ways as well. But, you know, originally that was the idea. It started to form where countries like Estonia were offering virtual citizenship, and and that was kind of a, a very early concept of it. But as, as we move into, as you say, you know, the Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin Cash as, you know, communities, as nations under themselves where people have, you know, their own culture, their own, I mean, you kind of even see like on like dietary habits and in, in certain mm-hmm. sections. And I'd written up like a brief article, I don't know, about a month ago on the idea of, because it was, I was thinking more on the, the idea of the fork and the kind of the, the, the idea of the fork as being kind of this peaceful way for two groups that have, you know, smaller usually large animosity towards each other to be able to break away peacefully and kind of go their own way, do their own thing. And, and to me, that was like a very beautiful concept, a, a kind of a new way to look at um, with the virtual nation. But now um, as, as we're kind of fleshing this concept out of the hash war, I start to see like, well, uh, on, on the flip side, there's this kind of, you know, very uh, pacifistic idea of like, what's this fork go our own ways and do that. And then on the other side, you know, the, 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 the yin and yang of it, there's the hash war and it, it it's, if, if what this, if what we're positing here is, is true, it's, it sounds to me a lot like kind of, the, you know, that 30 years war in the post reformation Europe, mm-hmm. you know, yet the larger factions of, you know, Protestantism and, and Catholicism, you know, battling out in large bloody wars. And I think it was until 1945, it was it it it, it was the the deadliest war in in kind of that G- Germanic area, Germany's history. And it was eight million dead. Yeah, and and especially for a population at that time, I mean that that's massively mm-hmm. disastrous. And you had the larger factions, but you also had smaller factions battling out. Smaller factions having to go out and hide just to survive. Um, it, for in their case, you know, physical mountains and all that. And uh, it's it's very interesting because the hash war seems to be totally a a winner take all conquest. Right. It's not Mm -hmm. the Mongols operated a little bit different to to, to digress a little bit. They kind of had a they would conquer and install uh, kind of Vichy governments in in their in their wake. But this is definitely um, SV's motivation seems to be kind of born out of at least partly for for one of the actors spite. And I think hatred for the way that uh, that he was treated, you know, whether whether, uh, you know, earned or not. Um, but conquest is definitely the goal. I mean, wh- what do you think the implications are for kind of this concept of the, the Bitcoin nation or fill in the blank coin nation as we move forward? Well, you know, this is something towards the end of my book, Self-Ownership, that I I, I don't know if I want to call it prophesied but it was certainly something i had been thinking about and i called this i called it the crypto savage and maybe less than a nation per se i think the blockchains are nations 
but I think that the way of viewing the world is the, in other words, the culture is what I've, what I called crypto savage. That is sort of the, the hidden other. And what's, what's interesting. I mean, we're sitting here, we're talking about this and I was thinking about this today as I was walking around and I was like, wow, um, this is potentially, you know, if Bitcoin is to, is to become world money. And I think that, um, this, and, and, and we can talk about why I think this, but I think that this war is actually proof that Bitcoin is going to become world money, uh, that it is going to be very important, and that this is the this is the move I, I tweeted today, that this is similar to the Trojan War, how that was really where Western culture started. Um, that was when the, what is the Western world started with the Greeks, but also the Romans um they draw their history their mythological history back to sort of the first roman was aeneas who was from the trojan side the losing side he was one of the only people to survive and he left with his group and landed in italy and julius caesar uh, and augustus directly drew their lineage back to this person so it was like not only the greek world but the roman world from this Trojan War. And before that, and even during the sort of stories of Homer and whatnot, you see the gods involved. It's very mythological. After that, they step into the historical age. History begins. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now, is that before this point, it was very mythological. And also, you know, to the point of a peaceful fork, I think that's gone. And the reason why I think it's gone is it's a matter of territory. You know, I guess that we imagine that the digital world is somehow limitless, and in many ways it is, but the valuable territory is not. And so at the time when these early forks, the Litecoins, and then Dash, and you had Namecoin and all of these, even BTC wasn't worth that much. Um, but in the last several years, I mean, I bought my first Bitcoin in 2012, and it was uh, 15 bucks. And the funny thing about it was... The, so I was buying it hand to hand and, and I, there was a guy I was dealing with and I remember I've still got the email and I look at it from time to time when I, when I want to feel like a real ass. Um, but it was uh, December of 2012 and he hit me up and he said, hey man, I've got a hundred Bitcoin that I'll sell you for just under spot. So like, and I was like, well, what spot? And he said, uh, uh, like 14, $14 and 40 cents for a hundred Bitcoin. And I was like, eh, I just got the email. I was like, Eh, I think it's too high. And I look at that email from time to time. I mean, nine months later, it went to a thousand. So you got, it helps to put, put yourself in the situation of like, if I thought $14 for a Bitcoin was too high in 2012, and a lot of these coins, it was 20, 2012, 2013 early that they sort of spun off. Um, you know, the territory was wide open. Who cares? Who cares? You go, you fork. No, not anymore. And now it's worth too much. You've got already exchanges that are trading it. You've got the brand. I mean, we saw that with BTC, BCH, but I think even probably that was the last time you were going to have that. I don't think you're going to have any more peaceful forks. So you're definitely not now that there are hash wars. Um, and, you know, as you pointed out, the sort of smaller factions, we're already seeing that. There's this shark pool that popped up that are now, they're talking about, join us, we're going to go basically raid the alts like like Vikings. 
we're going to mine empty blocks. We're going to, and then we're going to sell them for BCH. And that's a, that is a viable thing to do. And I, so I don't necessarily think that it has to be Craig and Calvin going after these alts. I think there's going to be groups of individuals who will do that. And I think that they'll reach out to them for weapons. I mean, these guys will be able to sell them weapons now. They're clearly developing weapons already. So, I mean, so we've moved into a whole new realm of this. But the positive part about it is, just like with the Trojan War, is that the Trojan War was 10 years of besieging this, of besieging Troy. And all of these heroes were there. And the greatest minds of their time were their eyes were focused on these events. And all of us right now, we're all looking at a single thing. We're united. Even people from other, from the alts, even now the BTC people are looking in. And some are dismissing it for now. Except not the smart ones. Like we just saw, uh, there's an article from, uh, Craig had posted a screenshot of an email and then CoinGeek picked it up about Greg Maxwell, the former chief uh, technical officer of Blockstream, reaching out to Craig with the subject line of saying, I think we have a shared interest or I think we have a mutual interest. And then trying to sort of talk, talk to Craig about, oh, it could go wrong for you if you don't do this. And it's just like, man, this is playing out like a, like, a Greek, like the, the story of uh, Leonidas in the 300, you know what I mean? Here's this, um, here's this guy who was cast off, who's nonetheless incredibly knowledgeable and talented when it comes to Bitcoin, trying to throw his lot in with the guy, with the new sort of tyrant who's, who's waging a threat. It's, it's unbelievable how this thing is playing out, um, which again, goes back to Daniel Krawitz, who has been saying for a long time, this is Narnia. You know, that's his that's his big shtick. This is Narnia or this is uh, Middle Earth because Bitcoin is an imaginary good. So, of course, the world of Bitcoin is imaginary. Of course, it's going to to relate to these things. But at the end of the day, like it's also real money. So what's going to be different now is we've seen since the 30 years war, you know, if you take it from then to now. The war in Syria is really bad. It's really bad. But is it, though? You know what I mean? Like, is it really compared to the 30 years war? I mean, people were able to leave. You've got refugees and all of this. People just didn't have to stick around. There was actually somewhere for them to leave to. Weapons are relatively precision guided. Like, it really is mostly soldiers that are dying. Um, There are obviously civilian casualties, but it's nothing compared to Vietnam. It's nothing compared to even Iraq. Uh, nothing compared to Afghanistan even. So wars are getting less and less in terms of the the physical violence. And now we've got the situation that's so interesting because throughout history, wars have been for resources. So whether that's the conquistadors going over and trying to take gold out of the new world, you know, and and going and, and raiding the Aztecs to the U.S. going over in, in search of oil. Uh, and, uh, you know, and attacking in the Middle East and going to war for oil. In all of those cases, you had a physical good. That means if you want it, you've got to take it out of the hands of the person who has it. And that's physical hands and they don't want to hand it over. So it's going to have to be a physical fight. In this case, it's digital gold. As much as I hate that meme, it works here. So it's digital gold. So the gold is so the fight is going to be on the, in the digital realm. But if people aren't careful, 
there's going to be the same types of destruction and the same types of casualties. Um, real people are going to lose real money. Um, and you imagine now it's not a huge deal because most of the people, even who are taking notice of this, aren't reliant on the stability of the BCH network in order to feed their children. But that's going to change. If Bitcoin is to become world money, there's going to be a lot more at stake. And so miners are going to go to war, and that war is going to affect real people and real people's lives in the way that physical wars have been. So there are a lot of analogs, and it's a very interesting time. Um, but what Bitcoin is will be forever changed on November 15th. It's really interesting that you mentioned the, the shark, you know, the shark pool and that it's kind of almost like a proof of work pirate. And exactly, it's really because, you know, that was a lot of in, in, in earlier history, the, the reason for people to come together into communities, the people to especially for the kind of advent of the nation state as well. And especially on the high seas, right? So if it, mm -hmm. if you're flying a certain flag, you were left alone by certain privateers. And and uh, if you were flying the wrong flag, you were not. And then there was also the kind of the true pirates who would kind of attack anybody per se, kind of depending. Uh, some of them were kind of given um, um, cover or paid off by one group or the other to not touch their stuff. But it, it's, it's kind of interesting. That kind of delves back into when you're talking about that if SV is – is able to accomplish their goal of gaining, you know, control. They, everybody else capitulates to them. They, they are, they are um, um, victorious in, in the battle over BCH. And they now have, you know, basically the, the, the full power of the BCH network almost at their disposal. Um, we, th like you said, they're probably going to start going after, you know, smaller chains. So do you think, um, well, one, I wanted to ask, how do you think that's going to go? Do you think they're going to immediately start to go do that? They're going to check, tax some smaller ones to see what the, what the um, response is, or are they just going to start going after big boys like Dash and, and Litecoin? And then as well, is that going to result in a lot of these smaller projects with a, you know, a little bit of hash power? There's a gentleman that uh, put out a Excel spreadsheet that basically told you how much it would cost a 51% attack, you know, chains mm -hmm. like Verge or whatever. And, is this going to lead to kind of a conglomeration of different projects and, and basically, you know, communities either giving up on their projects to, to throw their hash power behind someone who can actually protect them, protect their networks, right? You know, jumping onto Ethereum or mm -hmm. something like mm -hmm. that, or, or a, a, like, I don't know, what, do you, what are your thoughts on, on how that's all going to flesh? Yeah, there's, so one of the things that this, battle is going to show and i think it's important to um you know we've we've had one other fork that was similar to this where there was no replay protection and that way and people keep bringing it up and that was the uh eth and etc fork and it's different because they don't use the uh, unspent transaction output model they use a a balance model so they don't use the utxo model so it's different the way that the transactions play but what we're going to see is that, and Ryan Charles did a video today that really showed that he he was understanding this as well. Um, I I think that he's got a, a good handle now on on what's going on. So he's definitely someone to 
to listen to as even as his own thoughts evolve on this. This is unprecedented. Um, but what we're going to get to see is that more than one chain can exist within a network and can exist peacefully. Um, and that you don't need replay protection. This is something that Daniel Krawitz has been saying since the beginning, again, where he said replay protection is stupid, and I didn't understand it until I got hours to talk with him about it. So people shouldn't feel bad if this takes a long time for them to get. Um, because then what you have is you have the chance to experiment where I can send out transactions that will play across every chain. So you could have a dash on the Bitcoin cash network. Well, that won't be allowed because that won't be allowed by, by the dictator, the new dictator of BCH. But you could have a dash on a BTC network. Then what happens in that case? That's actually a much, as you say, people coming together, it's much more cooperative. This is how you fight off the pirates is that it's like, okay, fine. I don't want that. I don't want your block time. I don't want your block size. Fine. But if these guys say, no, we're going to fork it. We're going to have a shared history, but we're going to try this masternodes thing. And you know what? If nobody's into it or whatever, then kind of our chain just goes away. But it's actually okay if our chain goes away because everybody who didn't want to take that experiment could just only do transactions that played across both chains. So you get a chance to experiment, and then what you what you really have is your coins become this this unified coin, this sort of index. And so I think what people are going to learn from this is that the way to attack is to split a chain, but the way to defend is to split a chain. Because then you have your brothers on your chain with your algorithm ready to defend that network because that net they have skin in the game on that network. So what you really want is it's not that you want to to play this game that BTC has been playing where it's like no, uh get out of here, shit coiners, uh be cashers, be gone, have your re replay protection, that's an attack on Bitcoin. Actually no, it's not an attack on Bitcoin. Actually you want immigrants to your chain. You want them to be there to to grow the chain because who knows? Maybe it turns out that they are able to attract more hash power than you are. And so that keeps your chain safe. Just the simple fact that there's more hash power there, more honest hash power. And so it's it's interesting, but you know, people have have framed it as though I am uh I have come off anti-Craig or something. I don't I don't personally uh appreciate Craig for the things that he has said about me personally. But I'm very much able to put those aside. As I say, I was uh, on reality TV for six seasons. I've heard a lot worse. <laughs> uh, I've got I've I'm pretty uh, I've got a pretty thick skin when it comes to uh, haters on Twitter. I think what Craig is doing, somebody had to do, and I think whoever did it uh, had to be kind of a special individual and he's definitely a special individual in a lot of ways they had to really believe it they had to really take it seriously the most important thing for bitcoin's value is that people believe that it's real that's the most important thing is that people believe that it's real and craig believes that it's real he believes that it's real so hard that he's willing to invent a way to go to war on it real war and so i'm not anti craig 
I think that he is playing a crucial a crucial role in the development of Bitcoin overall. Um, do I want him to be dictator? Not really. I mean, I don't want there to be a dictator of Bitcoin. And so what I'm hopeful for is that, um, you know, people will learn and they'll come together and, you know, the Bitcoin that my children enjoy will be so much stronger and more vibrant than it is now, in part thanks to Craig. What what do you think? Uh, I mean, because basically, there's a lot of skepticism from the BTC side that when you said that eventually he would be able to, if successful, uh, he would be able to um, eventually marshal enough resources to bring a tax on the BTC chain, and the majority of the people um, and in the in the BTC side were I, actually I really I didn't see anybody. Um, I haven't spent as much time on Twitter this last week, but I, re- I really didn't see anybody that was necessarily publicly saying like that. Yeah, this is a possibility at all. They were quite dismissive and didn't really want to seemingly spend any kind of time looking into it. How do you see that going from, say, the November, let's just say the Bitcoin.com and, and Jihan capitulate very quickly. November 16th, Craig is the dictator. How do you see it going forward from there? What's the kind of brief ballpark steps that would be brought up to where uh, to kind of lay it out for BTC folks that this actually could be a true uh, threat to their chain as well? It's really funny how history is always right there in front of us, but we think that uh, it doesn't repeat any would-be conqueror. You go through go through history, and there's always some city, state, or nation that thinks that their their high walls or their their the ocean that separates them is going to protect them, and they see you know neighboring nations being ravaged, and they say that's not us. What are you talking about? We have we have this great civilization here. We could never fall. That we could never fall to those barbarians. They're just, look at them. They're just barbarians. They're nothing. They're stupid. They don't know what they're doing. Those are famous last words. They're not prepared at all. And they. I don't think that they've really done the calculus. Because this is the calculus that I did, and it became very, very obvious about why BTC is... Uh, if Craig is successful, why BTC is in danger, why why they should care. And it's very, very simple. Um, from the beginning, and it's no mystery that Bitcoin has a lot of very, very powerful enemies. The most powerful entities, it, it's either one of two things, right? Either one... Bitcoin is not a threat to banks and governments. If somebody says, well, no, banks and governments, they're very, very happy with Bitcoin. Banks and governments would love to see Bitcoin continue to exist and grow. If that's what you believe, and you're on the BTC side, if you believe that banks and governments are friendly toward the growth of Bitcoin, then you know what? Bitcoin is not, there's no threat to Bitcoin from Craig. But If you believe, like I think every core 
believers should believe, considering that uh, good old Adam Back and most of those, uh, most of the old schoolers, Gavin and all of them, those are all cypherpunks. They're all the whole idea of the cypherpunks was that oh, the government's a problem, banks are a problem. That was the whole basis of creating Bitcoin. So, if that's the case, then when Craig takes over, when Craig, uh, I, I say when because I do believe it's kind of a foregone conclusion, but he will have shown that he can take over, he, that he knows the tactics, and he knows how to take over a Bitcoin network that is so, they think that they're different. But on this front, in this context, there's almost no difference between the Nakamoto consensus, the way that it's done with Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. So really all you're talking about is scale. So they need 10 times more resources. They need 10 times more resources to, to do to BTC what they're going to do to BCH because there's 10 times more hash power. They just need, they just need 10x of more resources investment. You think the the literally the people who print money would be the ones investing in making that happen. And then they would have control of Bitcoin through Craig. You think they're not going to be able to find the funding to do that? Anybody who thinks that hasn't thought about this for even 30 seconds. Or they're so completely mind controlled because they're stuck in the core cult that they that they're not even worth listening to. Like, this is really something that any thinking person who sits for even five seconds will realize. Um, but I think everybody will realize it come the end of this hash war. It's going to be very, very clear. Yeah, that, that's what I was a, a little bit surprised at. And, and you laid it out a lot more clear for me now, um, is that it, it was only really when, when the dismissing of it, it was like, well, we we have, you know, 10, 10x the hash power. It's not, you know, this is just a, you know, kind of like a mosquito on on our network um where th the only difference is money money is not a, a, a problem at all in this world and it's definitely uh, a lot harder um on the principled i guess especially from their perspective the principled btc side um than it is from the what they would view as the unprincipled um craig wright side and mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it's a matter of we're after the the you know, the, the, the scaling debate um, where they feel that they won and, you know, Segwit and two, uh, um, and 2X was, uh, Segwit 2X was defeated. And I, I don't know if it's a matter of, 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 of resting on their laurels and feeling as though like we've won this. Um, and, and if, you know, if, if these, you know, nefarious um, um, state actors wanted to end Bitcoin, they could have done so in 2013 and they didn't do it. Like that would have been a lot easier. But they couldn't have. Okay. But they couldn't have. That's the see that that's that's what people are not understanding. Was that it? Yes, because they couldn't have because Satoshi's code had not been cracked. This is but this is the case again. That's why I compare it to like the high city walls. There's been case through case through case throughout history. Um, it's dramatized very well. I think it was a Netflix, um, a Netflix show, Marco Polo, that it was sort of supposed to be Marco Polo with uh, in in the court of Kublai Khan, 
but there's this one storyline where there's they're they're sort of trying to take over this Chinese city. Um, and the whole idea is that these city walls are impenetrable. No army can get through the city walls. Um, but then Marco Polo sort of designs out a, uh, a, a ballista or a catapult to, and, and they use this ballista and it knocks down the walls. And it's like, that's been true throughout history. And Nakamoto consensus has been city walls. But once you have a catapult, <laughs> once you can hurl rocks and boiling fire and diseased bodies and all of the above, those walls really don't mean a damn thing anymore. And that's what they're not realizing is that someone has found a way to offensively use Nakamoto consensus to, to use within the rules of Nakamoto consensus to attack, to not just attack because that was always the, and, and you'll still see this where people still don't get it because we've been so long at the economic incentives. That's what's in the white papers that Satoshi basically says, well, yeah, somebody could attack, but what keeps him from attacking is not that it's technically hard to do. What keeps him from attacking is that he has an economic incentive not to, because why would you spend the money to receive a token of reduced value? The whole idea behind it is that like, well, no, you would want to see the network strong. And I've, I've look, I've been somebody who said this too, when things have come out about Jihan Wu, but Jihan is playing a different game. Jihan is at, he's been honest and he's been well rewarded for that. He had no intention of attacking any chain because he's in it to make money. See, but Craig and Calvin are looking from a much longer view. In their view, they're like, we would rather drop the price of our holdings to zero and take control of the entire network and then build the value back up quickly. And, and uh, sorry, sorry to butt in, but that that kind of go uh, ahead. You know, has me thinking this that. You know, we, we do talk about the genius of Satoshi and, you know, combining all these things, you know, cryptography, game theory and economics. And it seems very much like what you're saying is that, you know, what Satoshi was saying, you know, nobody would do this. It doesn't make any sense why they would drop the value of the thing that they want to have. Right. Mm -hmm. But that seems to me to be a very engineer mindset, um, one it that is. kind of maybe, I don't know, either ignores or has trouble seeing clearly the human aspect of uh, a deeper human aspect of game theory. And that, you know, whether you want to call it spite or the long game or combination of both, that some people, you know, as a saying from, from the movie says, you know, some people just want to watch the world burn as well, right? And they're willing to, to do that, mm -hmm. whether for the short term or, or, or completely overall, for completely irrational reasons or seemingly irrational reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I wrote about this in my counter markets article uh, this month. I was talking about the hero's journey sort of as it it relates to this. And, um, you know, I was specifically bringing up Star Wars. And one of the things that is really super cool about Star Wars, actually, and uh, and I actually put a link in that article. But if somebody goes and they just type in uh, George Lucas, Joseph Campbell award into YouTube, they'll see there was this back in the 80s, uh, 
George Lucas actually gave an award. He was speaking at an award, uh, gave this award to Joseph Campbell, who's the author of Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, which is about uh, mythological archetypes and the hero's journey. People who like Jordan Peterson, that was why I in- immediately was like, wow, because I had loved Joseph Campbell and Jordan Peterson was just like building on top of that. So this is, and and you see how that, like, Anytime you talk about these things or explore the hero's journey and the monomyths, people love it. But George Lucas says in this, giving this award, he says, you know, I had years ago, I wanted to, about 10 years ago, I wanted to write a children's movie and I I wanted to do a modern day fairy tale. And I ran across the hero with a thousand faces. And after reading more of Joe's books, I realized how I could do this if I hadn't have found a hero with a thousand, the hero with a thousand faces, I'd probably still be writing Star Wars. He basically just, it's its just everything that Joseph Campbell put into that book about what the quintessential monomyth is. And so these are Jungian archetypes that are, that you're seeing played out in Star Wars. And it's the reason why it has grabbed people and not let go because it's mm-hmm. just kind of the perfect um, human story that that is the encapsulation of all the great stories. So everything from, Jesus and Buddha to to the Trojan War and to the Lord of the Rings and the Matrix who goes on and on and on. Um, the top ten highest grossing movie franchises of all time are all the hero's journey. We we Harry love to be Potter told this story. Harry Harry Potter, the Marvel Universe, James Bond, go down the list, Lord of the Rings, all of them, right? It's all the same story, retold over and over and over again. So I think the best way to understand uh, the, the best way to understand Craig and Calvin is to understand them as Darth Vader and the Emperor. That's the best way to understand these guys. And that's the that's the path that they're on. And what's crazy about it is Craig understands himself that way. Because if you go down his Twitter feed, you'll see Darth Vader over and over and over again in reference to himself. So he even sees himself that way. He even recognizes that that's that's the role that he's playing. But that's really, really awesome because that means that we're in the middle of something that's really important. When you see these archetypes play out in ways that really matter, that are this clear, like it, it, it means that we're really in the middle of something super, super important. And so it's, uh, yeah, does he want to see the world burn? A little bit. A little bit, but you got to have that. You got to have that. And I think that there are some unseen heroes in the world of Bitcoin who are now going to get really a chance to shine. And I think that's what we should all be looking forward to. Uh, There are a lot of smart people, a lot of motivated people. And this conflict has actually brought them out of the woodwork. I've been talking with, with a lot of them and seeing the solutions that people are coming up with is amazing. So you know, I think I, I think if people are willing, now is the time to hodl. Now is the time to hodl. Um, don't do anything during the battle. And afterwards, I would say, no matter who wins, buy up that rock bottom BCH because it's going through the through the roof, man. That that was not financial advice. That was just my own opinion. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, it, we're in the we're in the midst of some really really interesting times. And and. Do you think that I mean some people would draw the conclusion, especially in in um, from like say the Ethereum or or other side that maybe this is a that other governance models 
uh, given that there's now this crack in the proof of work governance model in the Nakamoto consensus that maybe proof of stake or some other governance model might be something that, um, not that they don't have their own issues, right? But what would you say to someone that goes like, well, this is why proof of stake is better and you don't have to worry about someone like Craig coming in? I think they're, first off, I think they're wrong. And I don't think that, that's been such a weird criticism where people have been like, well, if Craig's able to take over BCH, it proves that proof of work doesn't work. No, what it proves is that you don't understand how deep proof of work is. That it's not just the proof of work that the that is the the machines that are mining. And Craig has he's hit on that. That it's not machines. People gotta get that out of their head. It's not machines. It's the proof of proof of work is a is a a human concept. It's proof of your own labor, because what we're doing is we're following the whole idea of why a blockchain is valuable, is because other people have decided to make it valuable. The the miners, the the devs, the, what we're talking about is what does it cost to buy an ASIC rig? Well, you're going to have to pay for it somehow, and fundamentally, how you got that was through your labor. So it all goes back to human labor. It's proof of human labor. It's proof of human work. So at the end of the line, at the end of the chain of all of it is not machines. It's people. And we're trusting that other people find it valuable. Other people find it valuable enough to work. That's the proof of work. And when you have a majority of the people who are swirling around that who are honest and are not trying to attack, then society works. And if people get willfully blind, if people stop working, if they get lazy, and that's what we saw with Lambo, with Moon, with Hodel, thinking that, oh yeah, it's just, Bitcoin's just going to go up in price. I think it's no, it is no um, coincidence that this is happening after a time of extreme stability, maybe one of the least volatile times in Bitcoin's history this year, when we saw very little movement in price and people's expectation of, well, and, and upsetness and entitledness that, that their holdings should increase in value because this is Bitcoin. Why is the Bitcoin price not going up? This doesn't make any sense. And these, these, you know, idiots on CNBC talking about the, the price, of, price of Bitcoin will be at 10000 it'll be at 10000 by the end of the year. Why? Why? Say why. Say why. Say what has changed. Say what is better. Say what has been built. Nothing. Nothing. Well, Craig is going to, he's, he's, he's shaking shit up. He's going to, he's going to try to make a change. And um, I don't, I do not like the idea of 51% attacking. I do not support that. I do not like Craig's overall attitude towards people. I do not support that. I think that he would be a terrible person, horrible person to be in charge of the direction of a chain or multiple chains. Uh, he, he clearly is a dictator, but. That's exactly the type of person that you need to wake everybody else up and get them to building. You know, he's a great person to... 
it's a little Krugman-esque, right? But he's a great person to break the windows uh, to get people building. He's doing it. And, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing people working again. I'm seeing actually cool projects being built just to sort of circumvent Craig. I'm seeing people have to actually think about security again in new ways, in interesting ways. And so it's like, we should be thanking Craig. We should beat him. We should, we should beat him back and, and show that Nakamoto consensus works and show that proof of work works and show that we who have put in the work will defend that work that's that's what i think we're going to end up seeing at the end of this and it's going to prove that proof of work works it's interesting that you say that as far as him being a polarizing figure that's needed because um if i I think it was well there's been multiple you know just historical examples right but also I, i remember just kind of clicked in my head Reagan's speech at the UN this kind of weird perplexing speech um where he talked about like how how fast would the world the nations of the world come together and this is in the midst of the cold war right so everyone's pointing nuclear weapons or two people are pointing nuclear weapons at each other and people are worried about the whole world being destroyed and talk about how fast would we come together and put aside ideological differences you know in 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 the face of like an alien invasion right then an outside force that was threatening us all and it seems like that would be something that is neat because it does, you know, yeah, th- this last, you know, six to nine months has been, you know, basically after we dropped from 10,000 into the 6,000s, it's been pretty steady and everyone's just been kind of kicking back. Crypto Twitter is pretty quiet for the most part, other than a few back and forth. And it, it's been relatively quiet in the community and most people are either building or have given up and, and gone home. And it is, it is very interesting kind of in in you know the the philosophical mythological sense of of like this specter appearing on the horizon right um Mm -hmm. and i guess if if you want to go deeper in in into kind of the theological um symbolism of you know i I wouldn't go as far to call the antichrist right but but was you know someone that most people didn't understand and and you know at, at first people didn't take seriously and then all of a sudden was you know became you know this overarching figure who who threatened the whole world right and they need that that you know the he- mm-hmm. like go back to the hero story um mm-hmm. but you know hero stories are common um for a reason they're not just stories they also speak to a deeper truth but at the same time do you feel that the hero story is a archetype because humanity needs it to be true or because these things will at a deeper metaphysical level always play out that way i think it's closer to the latter that's really what joseph campbell he it's interesting in reading hero with a thousand faces which he wrote in the late 40s uh and it's i mean it's absolutely as true now as uh you know it reads like somebody wrote it yesterday but i guess that's because it's about mythological archetypes right um really what he's what he gets so close to saying but doesn't say it is he he really is seems like he's hinting at the idea that this is somehow in our dna that it's almost like an instinct it's almost it almost is our inbred social organizational structure that and it's similar to what jung said as well that these things since we are a little more of a conscious being 
they're animating and, and motivating us and sort of drawing us together and enabling us to have this shared reality, but they come from, I don't know whether it's something organic, you know, somebody like Terrence McKenna might say that they're coming from another dimension and we're just sort of uh, communicating them. And it's some other higher intelligence communicating with us. Others might say it's God Uh, for whatever reason, these things play out and you know, all of us who are playing, playing it out, we're not really most of us conscious of what we're doing. Uh, even when we're, you know, I doubt because I have never, Craig writes a lot. And I think that if he was savvy to the hero's journey, that he would have brought it up. But the fact that he's identifying with Vader is like, wow, dude, seriously? Like you're, you're channeling something at this point. And so I, so I think really what it is, is that when you see the hero's journey narrative, pop up in real life that is your cue to pay attention but the interesting thing about it is whenever we see the hero's journey pop up we can't help but pay attention because uh that's what the hero's journey is there to make us do it's to make us pay attention and you know film creators have clearly figured that out if you want a high grossing movie just tell a hero's journey and people will line up to see Endless movie after movie after movie after movie telling the same story with just a little bit of a different twist. So now we get to see it play out in real life in this really cool space that is Bitcoin. And um, yeah, it's it's really, I just, I, I mean, I I feel really, really like honored to, to and, and proud and excited and lucky to be around to see this because it's really cool. Um, I think people should be be paying a lot of attention because there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of lessons that we're going to need to take into the next step of this thing. And I think that's especially a lot of people early on, like my own journey was I, I the, the first time I actually heard about crypto was, was on Jack's show, I think back in 2012. And it was one of those things like, you know, somebody mentions it and I had no background in it. Right. So I just kind of blew it off. And then about, I think it was about 2013 early on, I started to kind of go, okay, maybe this is, you know, something, something told me, right. And, and a lot of times like now I have that feeling that, um, I don't know if you watched that show, Halt Catch Fire on AMC. No, I've never seen it. No. So it, it basically starts off like early in the computer days and where they're still building these, like the first like actual PCs for home use, IBM. Oh, that sounds uh, cool. Um, was, yeah, it was a really neat show and it's about kind of the genesis of, of home computing. And then the last season and a half was about the internet and, and mm. them um, kind of realizing like, you know, and throughout that show, like you see, you know, this is still people building stuff in garages and, and kind of going, well, this internet thing's really neat. You'd be able to do like a chat board and you could talk to each other and, and you can sell stuff, you know, to people all around. And that, that kind of that energy, right. Where people are realizing mm-hmm. that this is something bigger. Well, um, by that time, you know, IBM was around and, but it was still kind of like this, you know, it's, it's for, it's, it's for companies. It's, you know, this is not really anything other than we're just going to have, you know, spreadsheets that we can send to each other at disparate offices and we don't have to like handwrite it out and send it in the mail. Right. It's kind of a neat, neat idea, but it's, it, it, you know, you could tell like those, those people that are passionate about that, that started to build computers at a young age in their garages, right? They realized that they, there was something here that 
is going to be bigger than anybody realizes, right? And that's what I kind of felt like when I first really kind of got, I think most people do. This is kind of a very common story. It's, it's, it's almost cliche at this point where you get bit by the Bitcoin bug. And once it finally clicks and you go like, this is, this is something, it's not just, it's not just Lambos and moon. And I mean, cause when I got into 2013, I started mining uh, Litecoin was actually, I was mining alts um, mostly and, and, you know, stuff like Ron Paul coin and all this other kind of goofy stuff when it came out and, and, and I was, you know, selling for Bitcoin and that was right when it did the run up to a thousand. And, mm-hmm. and then right after that, you know, you did the crash right after Mt. Gox, but even throughout the time I was like, this is, this is going to be something. And there was, I, you know, we moved and I ended up selling my mining rig equipment and I kind of just only did cursory reading. I kind of got out of it. Mostly I just got distracted. And, and it's kind of one of my biggest regrets also is not keeping in the community and and you know building something throughout those you know that year and a half that i kind of took off um until like 2016 2017 ish and and it's just that you know the reason was because like i knew this was something not just price i mean mm-hmm. that that's a that's a nice ancillary effect um to to your you know your time and 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 mental investment but like it it, it is something it's something that that's made it to the uh than to just you know being a new money right it's 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 more than just that um and it's it's also interesting that throughout all these years that i am kind of you know it it, it kind of correlates also with the uh, um you know pop culture of the walking dead right so in walking dead you know throughout the first few seasons it's always the zombies are the, the worst thing so every time there's like 10 mm-hmm. zombies show up it's like the biggest thing for those first few seasons that 10 zombies show up and it's like a big battle now 10 zombies show up and they're done in like 13 seconds and the main right. enemies are people it always ends up being people are the biggest enemies of people it's not it's not the outside actor right and you see this in a lot of movies whether it's alien invasions or terminator mm-hmm. right it's always the the internal um um, the, the human threat is always the biggest threat. And it, it kind of go like now, you know, as we're talking, going like, how, how have I not been able to view more clearly that it's not the, the, the larger, you know, systems and, and whatever you want to call them, whether it's just, you know, central banks or, or even the larger systems of that as being the, the biggest threats, which th- they are right. And, and they also do play a part, but, sure. but it's still the people and especially the people that are on the inside that always end up being, um, and, and you see that within these these mythological tales. There's always that that um, you know, the, the, not necessarily the feuding brothers, but you always have that that person that backstabs. You know, either the hero mm-hmm. or the community or their city um, that ends up that ends up being that that catalyst that leads to the larger crisis. Yeah, it's I I think, and it's kind of sort of my crypto savage theory is. I really don't think that the that those entities that have been the sort of boogeyman for so long the 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 banksters and the the governments the state I don't think they really see us not really I don't think they really see the culture and I do think that the culture is what has always given bitcoin value well, if you think about it, it's the only thing that can give it value. The the trading, I don't think we're going to have the type of run-ups and volatility that's happened before. 
and I think that as we move into the phase of, especially now with these wars about to happen, this is actually going to probably scare off a certain type of investor, but it's going to bring in another type of investor. But see, once you're in, you are within the culture at that point. And so I think that this is going to grow and the culture is going to grow. And I think that, you know, this conflict inside is it's exciting and it's going to bring in a lot of people and people are going to get excited by the the personalities and the the drama of it and all of that. And you know what? That's really good. I mean, you look at these, you know, you look at the elections, you turn on CNN and it. What's funny is now I now that I'm within this culture and it's totally exactly my crypto savage thesis that I'm in this culture, you know, we've got this war going uh, about to start. I I didn't give a fuck about the election. <laughs> Excuse my French there. I didn't care at all about these US elections. I was like I could care less because that doesn't even really concern me because 20 years from now what's happening now is going to be what will have been important. What's happening now inside of Bitcoin is what's going to be important to me, what's going to be important to my children. And so we're already making that cultural separation, I feel, because that was another thing. Uh, I was talking about this with my wife was, you know, here we are, uh, Bitcoin Cash has a uh, a market cap of, I believe it's 10 billion, I want to say, um, at least 10 billion. And through this whole thing with Craig Wright and all of this, so we're potentially talking about, you know, $10 billion being uh, wiped out completely. Just, it, it could go to zero. He's threatening to take it to zero. That's a large chunk of money. But interestingly enough, it's not hacking. There's nothing illegal under any government statute that they're doing. By doing this, even though they're about to wipe out value. And you, you ask yourself like, oh, wow. Um, so these new hash wars, like there's not even a role that the government can. The only way the, a government could get involved would be to buy some mining rigs and start mining. But hey, that would be good. Uh, that would be really good if we could if we could get high levels of, of energy being thrown at our blockchains. Yeah, that's only going to increase value. So. It's a very it's very interesting to think about that it's like, yeah, we're gonna get to play this out all on our own within our own culture. There's not even a way or a place for government to get involved. That's really cool and really interesting that we're about to have these wars that people don't even know about, that they don't even understand what's happening. This is a lot like the early years of uh Christianity. I recommend to everybody the book by Darmaid McCullough. Um, Christianity, the first 3000 years, the early, early years, like say the first 300 years were super interesting. Nobody knows about them. There were all kinds of battles exactly like this, all kinds of weird little sects of people. And they were fighting over minutia, like what we're fighting over in this BCH thing, which is really like the weirdest sort of strange out there minutia. Oh yeah. They were killing each other over that stuff. And so it's just history repeating itself, man. And so, you know, you think the Romans at that time, they didn't give a damn what these, that they were, that these people were killing each other and going to war and assassinations of a bishop 
on the on the road from Egypt to you know Damascus or whatever, and he gets assassinated. The Romans didn't care. Well, who are these? These weird, this weird little cult, this weird little sect. You know, well, they're not threatening the government. Okay. Yeah. Fast forward. You know, fast forward uh, two thousand years. Fast forward a thousand years, and and yeah, that little cult is uh, in control of of most of the world. So, you know, it's it's. I think that's what we're dealing with. I I I think we're seeing history repeat itself in this really interesting way. And here we are. It's interesting. We talked about maybe, you know, governments starting to, to, to run mining nodes and to, to increase hash power to protect against these sorts of things. I was when I was talking to Caitlin Long on on when interestingly enough, it just happened to be right when the backed announcement came out. Um, you know, we were talking about ways that Wall Street, if they wanted to, you know, mess around with that, is that most most of them are not gonna be, you know, we, we posited that or, or we're thinking that they would not be running, you know, even though they might have you know, a billion dollars, let's just say in Bitcoin and, and, and assets under management, they're not going to be running, you know, 10,000 nodes. They're probably going to be running, you know, a handful or so. Right. So they, they weren't going to be able to have that kind of, you know, the hash power like they would um, like someone like Bitmain or someone like that. That's not their goal. But would this not be in their interests um, their financial interests, as well as you know, you could maybe even put it under being uh, good stewards of of their of their investors' money uh, to start to actually get involved in bulking up the network to protect against their investors' you know money that's been invested in you know in Bitcoin that they are managing under under their not necessarily you know happening in the next few months, right? But you know, in in some future of you know a year or two where it's only going to get larger the the amount of money that's that's you know institutional money that's always been kind of like the thing everyone's been holding on to their hopium in their pipes right as the institutional money's coming any day mm-hmm. but i mean it, it it will um it's it's an asset that can be held i mean it'll be kind of interesting to see what this these hash wars actually kind of do to it but would not one possible outcome be where these larger financial institutions are starting to invest in that just like they would any other form of security of their assets. Ooh. Or is that a little I, bit too I mean, for I th- them? Yeah, I think that this is going to change what Bitcoin means for everybody, and that's going to mean institutional investors as well. I think that it took a long time for them to think that Bitcoin was safe. But the question in their mind was never that they were going to lose their money. That wasn't what it was about, is Bitcoin safe or not? The safety was more a political safety. It was, oh, is this for money laundering and drug smuggling? It was not, uh, is uh, some raider going to come in and in one day unannounced possibly destroy the value of this thing? Investors want to invest in something that they can understand. And Bitcoin is already hard enough to understand. Already. And so just as they're able to wrap their heads around a blockchain, and it's funny because like I was just, uh, the, these documentarians were just uh, interviewing me the other day and they were like, it was funny that they were running down, oh yeah, we've been going around and it's like, you know, they, you know of course the blockchain technology thing, like that whole and I was just like, it was, I was like laughing internally because I was like, oh my God, 
you guys have no idea what's coming like yeah yeah this uh you know blockchain is decentralization it's uh you know how it keeps it safe and how it could be the solution and i'm like yeah well i hate to inform you that somebody may have just found a way to just take these things down and so they're like uh what uh uh so just as they just as people started to wrap their heads barely around Nakamoto consensus, barely around the idea of a blockchain, here comes this entire paradigm shift. Um, no, I, I actually think that, as I say, it's going to be about this culture coming up. And I think that it's going to be about young people seeing this as an uncharted uh, place to go and adventure and to homestead, and to stake your flag, and to fight in some of these wars, and to be a hero. And by being a hero, either a protector or a raider, that you're going to end up with some tokens that are going to be very, very valuable. And I think that that's what the future of this thing is. I think that may be the new gold rush. And I don't think it's going to be institutional money. They might they might play around with Bitcoin BTC, but I think doing anything with any of the alts um, and anything that is proof of work that is doing smart contracts or I mean, imagine, um, you know, I'm feeling bad now for like the Ravencoin guys because Ravencoin is totally Bitcoin. I mean, you could just you can go in the GitHub repo and you can see where it forked off. There's only 3000 commits since it forked off from core. It's 100% Bitcoin. So, and it's got even less hash power than, than BCH by an order of magnitude. So I'm feeling really bad for them because it's like, how are you going to tell somebody to put their, their company's stocks on your chain when sitting over here is dun, 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 and here come the ships, you know what I mean? And Craig is coming in and he's just demolishing your Raven coin. Like, how are you, how are you going to feel confident putting tokens on that? You're not. So I think we're in a whole new, we're in a whole new realm and it's, almost it's not almost impossible it's impossible to know exactly where we go next but it's playing out an old familiar tale it's an old familiar tale and and i just i had uh, two last questions for you one uh would be and for anybody listening you know this is not con uh, financial advice this is just the opinions of the people on this show it means absolutely nothing take it as you want it's for educational purposes only but uh, to to anybody that's listening now prior to the 15th or or you know even after as it, with with the threats to other you know proof of work chains and other you know smaller alts or basically anybody with less hash power than pch at this moment what would your advice for them to be if you know as far as for like practical things that they can do as far as for you know you said younger people they can you know as they learn how to um um, code and become developers themselves and actually take part in this war because that's mm -hmm. where it's going to be fought um as well Absolutely. as you know within in, in you know in the memes as well um as far as for, for oh, the that's huge that's that's as big that's as big if not bigger than the code and w what would your advice for for people that either go like i don't you know i don't necessarily want to get involved with this but i do have you know i do have x crypto assets or whatever should i should I, you know, be running to larger hash 
power coin, you know, like BTC or what, what should I be doing at this moment? Just holding off and just seeing where the, where the dust settles. So here's what, here's how you want to think about it. Um, price should now mind you, this is crypto. So, you know, we say what should happen, but this is my, my take on it is the whole idea of the hash war is to drop the price. If you can't drop the price, then there's no reason to have a hash war. So uh, you should expect during the battle, just simply because there is a lack of trust from the exchanges and they've closed their windows, um, you should expect to see sell-offs as soon as the windows open. So that should mean that, um, that you have a lower price directly after the battle is done than you did when the battle started. So take that as you will. There's going to be a chain under attack in the middle of a war. Like I say, I don't think, my own personal opinion is I don't think it can take longer than three weeks. If you just want to sit it out and you just want to hodl, then you know what? Paper wallet is good. Even if you just have your uh, passphrase for your wallet um, and you just let it sit, don't spend it, sit on it, it'll be fine. The chain's not going to be reorged to previous to the battle. So the history for sure uh, is going to be at least from the 15th. And when the dust settles, that miners, whoever wins, is going to want to pick that chain back up and start mining it right away and securing it right away. And then you'll be able to spend. Spending during the battle is going to be, it could be risky. Um, if somebody, if you have coins that are only valid on one chain, either because somebody sent it to you or because your wallet is doing something in the background that you don't know about, and you start spending those coins and that chain ends up as the loser and destroyed, uh, you could lose that transaction history. Doesn't necessarily mean you would lose your money. Um, if you're the person who spent it, especially not, you might get it back. But if you're a merchant accepting it or an exchange accepting it, you could very well just see that completely wiped out and gone. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what you would, that's the best way to, to protect yourself. And uh, that's what you should probably expect from the price. But what I would say is no matter who wins, uh, my, what I anticipate is that although the price will be low when the battle first ends, I think that we should we'll probably see a, a huge spike in price, particularly if this can be ended quickly. If it can be ended quickly and decisively, I think that we'll see a huge spike in price. If it's drawn out, I think you're going to see really just the, the price deflate for a long time. And Craig and Calvin have both said that they're more than willing to do that to be able to take control of the chain. And my, my last question was uh, going to be directed at Bitcoin uh, BTC, as well as people of other projects, you know, anybody who's listening that that may be part of, you know, the Dash community, uh, Namecoin, Monero or whatever. And what what parting words would you have for them? And what also would you recommend that they start doing immediately? Well, the first thing is to just pay attention first, uh, especially the core devs and people who are mining and particularly interested you're to ignore this you ignore it at your own peril because 
it's going to be something that is going to be coming, whether it comes from Craig or whether it comes from Raiders, you need to start at least thinking about this. And, you know, also thinking about ways that we can work together. I think that's the most important part about this. Those of us who are honest uh, app developers, miners, just regular end users who want to use this and, you know, on Dash and BCH and BTC and Litecoin, we have, and, and Monero and Zcash, we all have the same desires. We all have the same incentives to see this ecosystem at peace. And we can work together. We've divided ourselves in a big way, in a very tribal way, but I do think that the only way that we're going to survive this is to start to find the ways that we are more alike and we are so alike. Go back through your GitHub repository and see when you forked from core and you'll realize that we are all really coming from the same place and we are all really trying to follow the vision of Satoshi. And I don't think that the vast majority of us think that that vision includes going out and, and actively hunting down and, and 51 percenting chains. And so I think there's a vast majority of us who are peaceful people, but if the peaceful among us do nothing and we just remain willfully blind, then when it comes for us, you know, we're caught with our pants down. So talk to each other, pay attention. Um, you know, maybe people aren't paying attention now, but certainly after this battle happens, I think to go back, there's so much history, go back through the, through the videos, go back through the Twitter threads. Educate yourself so that you'll know what to do the next time comes. And, you know, through that education, you might just end up making a nice, tidy profit as well. So it's definitely in your best interest. Well, I, I'd really like to thank you for coming on and and uh, spending what uh, about an hour and 45 minutes here on. And I'll be uh, including all the links, the the books, articles, anything that we kind of mention in here in the in the show notes. Um, and and Ben, where, where can uh, people find you, contact you? Uh, so vinarmani.com is my site that's got links to my my podcast and I, I put the videos up there. I do a Friday night kind of fun, cool podcast uh, at vinarmani on Twitter is I mean, that's where I'm at most of the time. Um, so, yeah, selfownership.me if you want to get my my last book, which has uh, towards the end, I start talking about this, what we were talking about, the crypto, the emergence of the crypto savage. And then I'll be working on my, it looks like this hash war is going to really make for the the nice sort of, uh, I think, glue for my next book. I had been looking for what that would be uh, called Render Unto Caesar. And so I think it's going to be absolutely perfect for that. So uh, be on the lookout for that as well. Thank you for having me on, Dustin. This was this was a lot of fun. Uh, I had been thinking about all of these things and, and uh, you know. It's great to get on and be able to talk with somebody who can who who can actually get it and I think uh, frame it in a really cool way for people. So I hope people enjoy this. Well, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that, and uh, and we'll have you on again soon. Great, sounds great. Thank you, man.